Today's episode of the Hail to the District podcast is brought to you by the Young Tennis Players Project, our presenting sponsor for 2018. The Young Tennis Players Project retails sports apparel, but with a unique twist. The majority of the proceeds goes towards helping young athletes receive hands-on tennis lessons and training, which can get very expensive, while the remainder actually goes back to the investors in a revenue-sharing opportunity for those who participate. And with no upfront costs, there's no risk. It's actually all upside. So to learn more, visit www.ytp.tennis, that's www.ytp.tennis, or just click on the link in our Friends and Sponsors section on the Hail to the District homepage. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and with the NFL draft taking place in just a few days, I've got Benjamin Albright of Mile High Sports Radio on the line. And for those of you unfamiliar with his work, Ben has really become one of the go-to people on social media for true NFL insider stuff. So I'm really pleased to have him on the podcast to talk about what just might go down in the draft, or maybe even these few days leading up to it. So first off, Ben, thank you so much for your time. I imagine you might be a little sick of doing this with all the podcasts and radio spots you've been doing already, but thank you for hopping on nonetheless. Oh, not a problem. In the end, we're all just people talking football, and uh, that's always fun, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So to that end, we can just go ahead and jump right in. Um, starting at the top with the always picking at the top of the draft, Cleveland Browns. Um, recognizing that you talked about this pretty much ad nauseum uh, with your numerous people talking about it, uh, mentioning about it on Twitter and so forth and so on. Um, from what you're hearing, let's start with the rumor that's kind of been making rounds over the last week or two. How legitimate is it that the Cleveland or general manager John Dorsey or whoever his best friend is that's talking to the media specifically will be uh, is actually willing to take Josh Allen with the number one overall pick, or is it going to be more closer to the conventional wisdom that which everyone thinks is going to be Sam Darnold? Well, I would suggest that there are three names, um, you know, at the top there that they're considering for that number one pick. Uh, you mentioned two of them, the others, Baker Mayfield, uh, and they're, they're, you know, they, there's a, a divide in that room. Um, you know, Scott McLaughlin, who's, uh, you guys are very familiar with there in Washington. Right. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, he's a consultant for the Browns and, uh, and he, you know, his, he, he really feels strongly about Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, some of the other guys in the in the room feel strongly about uh, Josh Allen. Some feel strongly about Sam Darnold. So they're trying to narrow down who that is. Um, they have not settled on a final answer as of this moment. But uh, uh, for a lot of the process, uh, the majority opinion was Sam Darnold, and it kind of still kind of holds. Um, but uh, again, once they've uh, once they've shaken all this stuff out and stacked the board and you know checked, rechecked, and made their final decision. Um, you know, then we'll know who it is. But at this point in time, those are the three names in play. Yeah, to that end, you, it's funny you mentioned it's, you know, it's up to three instead of the usual two that we've been kind of hearing for the past few weeks. There's that rumor, I don't know where it originated from, making the rounds over the last, I don't know if it was today or starting yesterday, whatever, that, that Mayfield's now in the mix. And I know the McLuhan, uh, it was early on in the process, I think, said um, publicly that he had Mayfield number one, which that makes complete sense that now, you know, putting his input into the draft room, that would put him into the mix at that top pick. Um, anything more? Or is it kind of every, they're just going to do in the war room debate of who they're going to take at number one? Uh, I think that's, those are the names. Um, and that's, that's kind of where it's at. It's just, you know, they're trying to figure out which one of these guys, because, you know, you need to, you need to hit on that. This is the foundation for your, 
for your future going forward. You need to hit on this quarterback. There's been, you know, kind of a laughing stock in that city, um, you know, over the last decade and a half because of all the quarterbacks they've gone through that have been, uh, uh, let's be charitable and say subpar. Uh, and, and, you know, so you really need to hit on this one. And so this is one that they, they really want to make sure that they're completely comfortable with. It makes sense. Um, charitable is a very polite way of putting it, a politically correct way of putting it. But um, while we're on the subject of Mayfield, you've been a pretty strong advocate of his, even dating back to when we spoke a few months ago doing our Redskins Broncos podcast back in December. Um, you were the most positive about him at that time. And I think the Mayfield over Josh Allen arguments are pretty obvious. One can actually hit the ocean while throwing the beach, throwing the ball from the beach and the other probably can't. Um, but I'm curious to hear your perspective on why you'd rather have Mayfield. And just for the record, I actually completely agree with your stance, but just hearing it from someone else, why you'd rather have Mayfield over someone like, per se, Josh Rosen, who is quote-unquote pro-ready, whatever that means, or Darnold, who you know everyone kind of, again, quote-unquote, considers to be the number one overall pick. Well, um, let's you know, let's start with Darnold. Um, Darnold's very young. There's a, there's a high upside projection there. Um, but, you know, I, I, I see a guy who has a lot of intangibles, but he may not, you know, morph into the guy that they think that he can become. Uh, he does have a turnover issue, um, you know, and so that's, that's something you want to take into account. He's a guy that, you know, has a lot of upside. You can see a lot of Tony Romo to his game, but, um, you know, having those turnover issues, it's something to be concerned about. Um, I, I think Baker just processes the field more quickly than the other guys. And that's the number one attribute you need for a quarterback. As long as you have requisite velocity and Baker was well above the threshold uh, and are able to throw the football accurately and with anticipation, uh, then, you know, processing and how quickly you process the field, specifically, you know, five to 15 vertical yards down the field, um, you know, in the passing game is uh, the number one trait. And, and Baker is clearly that person. Um, so, you know, why wouldn't you take the traits that you need, uh, to be successful in the NFL? Uh, if you look at, for instance, Josh Rosen, um, you know, I, I think Josh Rosen is a pretty good thrower. I think he's a pretty good, pretty good passer, but I just don't know what areas of his game, uh, you're going to improve at the pro level. I think he's one of these high floor, low ceiling guys like, uh, Andy Dalton or, or Mark Sanchez, you know, that kind of thing where, um, you know, you, you bring him into league and, um, he's just kind of what he, what you see is what you get. And that's kind of always how he's going to be. Um, you know, I've heard some people compare him to Matt Ryan. I think that's way, way on the positive side. I could kind of see some of that, but, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of where his ceiling and floor are. So, uh, for Rosen, it really is about where he's going to go and, and that fit. And, um, you know, the guys around him, whether he's going to be a facilitator, um, or just a guy. No, it's a completely fair point. Um, so not to digress from that point, but one of the teams that was originally linked to Rosen, I think it's less and less so, um, segueing from there, the New York Giants. And unlike in years past from this organization, Dave Gettleman's done a really good job of making sure their intentions aren't leaked out. In fact, his poker face has been pretty damn strong, um, as opposed to the last few years where you can pretty much call their pick a few days in advance. Um, again, going back to the idea of rumors that have been floating around over this funny or, you know, lying season of drafts. The latest rumor that came out, kind of originating from Bristol, Connecticut, in the mothership over there, was that Barkley to the Giants is, and I quote, inevitable. Um, everyone always talks about this pick, and I'm just curious, and not to put you on the spot in any way, but I'm just curious to at least get from your, from your uh, insight. If you had to bet some 
a size of sizable amount of money. What do you think the Giants really do at number two overall? Is it Barkley? Is it Chubb, which is kind of what everyone thinks based off Dave Gettleman's MO? I mean, trade down is obviously in the realm, but if you had to just choose one of those, what do you think it's going to end up being? I, you know, I honestly don't know at this point. Um, that's one of those things where the smart moves don't appear to be the way it's trending. Um, you know, the way it's quote-unquote trending, or at least the buzz, is Barkley, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Taking a running back at two is a horrible decision for a myriad of reasons. Um, but uh, Gentleman's history is to draft defensive linemen early. Um, Chubb is a premier pass rusher, and that would seem to make sense. I think that New York truly wants to trade out of the spot. Um, I think they'd like to move to a spot where, you know, they can get two players uh, and continue to build. But, uh, you know, I don't know if the Bills are going to be able to have the ammunition to get the two, especially when five and six are in play and their guy is probably going to be there. So, um, you know, if I'm Gettleman, I might consider trying to ransom a quarterback, but that's a risky proposition, especially in a draft that's got four quarterbacks. Uh, trying to take a guy and ransom him, you know, for, for the price tag you actually want down the line. Uh, everybody, the buzz seems to be pointing to Barkley. Um, you know, I'd heard Chubb was strongly in the mix as well, um, that their preference was trade back, but they just didn't have any offers that for, for two that they felt were worth it. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're almost playing chicken with that number two pick with the team, let's just say Buffalo, because they have the most um, draft capital. But it's like at some point, if you play chicken and the other team says, look, man, you're just playing that price is too rich for my blood, then you know, you're stuck with the number two pick. I mean, stuck in the relative sense. So then it's like, all right, what are you really going to do? And then it's like, do you take Chubb, which I think would probably be the smartest pick. But as you just said, you know, conventional wisdom or normal wisdom doesn't necessarily apply here. Um, I'm in agreement with you. And that's even outside of this podcast. I th- I Barkley is an athletic freak. I don't necessarily know that he's the elite running back that we're all making him out to be. I think he's more of an athletic marvel than he is a true polished walk into the league and turn into Todd Gurley. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, scrambling down a few more picks in the draft. Uh, two teams that have been a little more difficult to peg, kind of like the Giants, are the 49ers at 9 and the Raiders at 10. And the reason why I bring this up is I think most Redskins fans, this being a DC podcast and all, should kind of keep an eye on what they do. Because um, I think whatever they do at 9 and 10 might impact the Redskins the most at 13. So I was curious to hear if there's any input, what you might be hearing about that, or who you think, you know, what direction they might be going, who might they be interested in, any of that stuff. Well, 49ers are still looking uh, at the defensive side of the football. Um, I think they want to go secondary. It just depends on who's there. If Minka uh, Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Denzel Ward, um, even Josh Jackson would be in play there. Uh, so I think it's it's a scenario where they're just kind of, uh, you know, they're going to be reactive and kind of see what's there and go from there. I think uh, the Ruben Foster stuff kind of puts Roquan Smith in play, uh, although maybe he hadn't been before. So uh, there are a couple options there, but I expect them to go with the defensive side of the football. Uh, and then the Raiders are pretty keyed in on Roquan Smith. Uh, if he's not there, they might look at the offensive tackle position, but uh, they are very much interested in Roquan Smith, and if he's there, he'll be the guy. Really? That's interesting. I know you'd mentioned a few weeks ago, I think, you put out something that Roquan might be in play at the Colts at number six, assuming the Colts will stay there. And we know they're another team, um, you know, multiple people, including yourself, have mentioned that they're kind of really looking to trade back. And assuming, you know, the way things fall, if Allen and or especially Rosen fall back, then somebody might try to trade back with them but it's interesting i didn't i haven't heard not to discount in any way that the rook one at 10 is there uh, would be a pick but that makes complete sense because i know they need someone either in the middle or on the weak side over there yeah uh and you know a lot of um 
offensive-minded head coaches love to go to the defensive side of the football early with their drafts um, because they feel like they can coach up uh, their offensive players and get athletes you know, later and turn them into football players, but they want highly skilled uh, defensive players to kind of make up you know, and keep the, keep the game close while they're building their offense. Do you think the Raiders would, so you're saying the offensive tackle is the other direction. If, if someone like Edmonds or Roquan Smith is not there, um, they would probably have to put in someone at right tackle because I can't remember who's their starting right tackle off my off the top of my head. Um, right. They've yeah. moved a couple of guys, and I don't believe that, that Edmonds would be in play there. He's uh, he's going to be in the later teens, maybe even the 20s. I think uh, he's a guy that uh, media has kind of overrated a little bit relative to where the league has him. Interesting. That's another interesting take. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I think he's one of those. And I, again, speaking from a Virginia Tech alum myself, um, I think he's definitely a physical freak, 19 years old, all that fun stuff. But yeah, like, especially if you watch the tape, I think it's the, you know, the, his polish and his, his uh, FBIs or whatever you want to call it, still have to catch up to his athleticism a little bit. So it would be interesting to see. I know there's a contingent of Redskins fans who would love to see him come over here just because we have a little bit of a gap at inside linebacker. Mason Foster is one of the guys next to Zach, Zach Brown. And Zach Brown is Zach Brown, awesome athlete, runs side to side, you know, sideline to sideline, super fast, but, um, you know, not really the quarterback of a defense by any stretch of the imagination. And Mason Foster has kind of played above himself, but like, He's still Mason Foster. He's a little bit limited athletically. So I don't know if either guys, if it would be Edmonds and Brown in the middle, I don't know if either guy's really capable of being the um, quarterback of the defense, but um, that digresses nonetheless. So now that we're already talking about them, any initial scuttlebutt you're hearing about what the Redskins might be wanting to do at number 13? Well, I know they're in the market uh, for running backs. They certainly worked them out and they, you know, they're, they're trying to work on that. You could see them, um, you know, be a team. I don't want to say reach on a Darius Geis, but they could, you could see a team maybe take him a little earlier than projected. Um, I know they want to finish rounding out that offense around Alex Smith, uh, you know, and, and, and getting it, uh, getting it to where they want it to be. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the Redskins are in a position to be uniquely reactive. Um, you know, there are some teams in the draft that are going to be proactive and some teams are going to be reactive. And they're sitting right in that sweet spot where, you know, one top tier player is probably going to slip through the cracks and fall yeah. into their laps. So you want to have a tentative plan. Let's just use guys in this, uh, to, to, you know, to be our tentative plan uh, for the sake of example. And then, uh, and then you want to have a reactive plan as well. Uh, so you want to have, you know, kind of three scenarios here, a guy we want, um, a guy who happens to fall in our lap. Uh, and then you want to have the trade back, you know, phone ready just in case as well. You get blindsided by a huge offer for somebody else. So it's important to stack the top of your board, those first 15 picks or so yep. uh, really carefully and have a yes or no on each one. So that if one does fall right into your lap at that position that, you know, you're ready to go. Yeah, no, a lot to unpack there. There's a few a few things that kind of fired into my mind as you're talking about them. So let's say one of those guys, and I'm going to talk about one in a, in a couple of minutes, but let's say you know one of those guys falls and the Redskins don't take guys, so they pass on guys at 13. And um, I, I I think a lot of people would be happy with guys, even a few of us would be happy at number 13. Not me personally. I'm more in the camp of what a lot of other people are. They could probably get someone later on, or 13 might be a little rich at this point in the draft. But the downside or the other side to that if you will is that you know if you want to grab try and be in a position to grab a sony michelle or one of my personal favorite running backs in the draft ronald jones at number 44 
or even Nick Chubb, who's kind of been mentioned over here as someone who could be in the mix for that pick. Um, you know, that's fine, but there's a question of whether they're actually going to be around at number 44, or could they all be top 40, top 42 picks? And I was curious if you've heard a similar sentiment where, you know, that late first round, early second round is where we start to see a run of some of these guys. I don't really think that most NFL teams want fifth-year options on running backs. Uh, they tend to be prohibitively expensive, and they give the running back the leverage in the contract negotiations. Uh, you want it with quarterbacks just because the, the money's better uh, relative to the positional value. But with running backs, you, you don't. So uh, I would suspect that you're not really going to see a run on running backs at the end of the first round. I think you'll see the run on them at the beginning of the second. Uh, and that's, that's the spot to, to really kind of keep an eye on. So what you're saying is on that prop bet, I can't remember who I think it's Bovada or something, where it's over five and a half quarterbacks. It's probably good. And over five and a half quarterbacks in the first round, I should put my money there. Quarterbacks in the first round? Yeah, I think, I think was, they said the over-under is five and a half quarterbacks in the first round. Uh, that's an interesting prop. I would say that's, uh, that's the one that's right around the mark. Five and a half would yeah. be the, the number. Um, the question really becomes Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph, you know, and I think Lamar is going to probably be taken by the Chargers. So um, I think that bet would probably uh, – Five and a half would probably be a bit of a stretch. I think four and a half would be where I would be putting my money. Yeah, yeah. So you think Rudolph might be the odd man out in that situation? Right. You could see someone trade up to him in the back half of the first, you know, that last part of the first round, especially if a team misses out on the quarterbacks. If Buffalo's not able to work out a deal, um, you know, you could see a situation where they trade up in the back half of the first and get Mason Rudolph to kind of round out the draft class. So um, I, that wouldn't stun me at all. So going back to the guy in the situation or the scenario you were talking about, rather, of where somebody might fall to you at 13, where you previously not foresee that happening based off of other scenarios. Um, one guy that's been mentioned a lot over here, who the Redskins have been linked to, um, and some people, local beat writers and people on the radio and stuff like that, have been saying that if he's there, they're definitely going to snatch him up at 13, is Minka Fitzpatrick from uh, Alabama. Um, I, I'm a big fan of his. My wife is an Alabama alum, but that notwithstanding, I still think he could be a Pro Bowl free safety, awesome stud slot corner, especially since we lost Kendall Fuller as a stupid trade addition, but that notwithstanding. <laughs> um, for Fitzpatrick to fall at 13, we would need, as kind of you had mentioned, one of those teams to make a surprising pick, if you will, in the top 12. So, do you think there's one of those types of players where, like, you know, the traditional mock drafts for whatever crap they're worth right now aren't projecting but could end up sliding into the top 12? And you alluded a little bit with, like, Oakland doing offensive tackle, but anyone along those lines? Well, I think you could see, um, I think you could see Minka slip and fall to that spot. Um, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. You would need, uh, uh, you'd need the quarterbacks to go early, uh, and you would, need, um, uh, you would need Chicago to go Mike McGlinchey at tackle. Uh, you would need, um, yeah, you, you, you definitely need all four quarterbacks to go, uh, to go early and you, um, you, you need could to possibly see that happen. You need, you need somebody to like Derwin James more than like yeah. Fitzpatrick ahead of you. And, uh, and that would make it work. Yeah, and then probably the two linebackers. So you had said that this might not be, you know, we might be overrating it, but like most people are thinking that Edmonds is going to go top 12. So Edmonds and obviously guys like Nelson and Chubb and Barkley are more than likely going to go in the top 10. But basically if Roquan Edmonds, I think it's still safe to say Ward is probably going to be a top 10 pick, Denzel Ward. So if that traditionally goes, and you might just need one or two things like, as you mentioned, McGlinchey, if someone falls in love with like Vita Vea or somebody like that, do you think Harold Landry falls into the top half of the draft? Um, he's another guy that's going to go in that teens range, so you need to kind of, you know, keep an eye out on that. Um, 
you know, if somebody were to, like, for instance, the Niners snag him up, that would help your case if you really want Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I know you said, and you mentioned publicly that he might fall. Do you think it's one of those things where teams are like, he's kind of jack of all trades, master of none? Is it just everyone's kind of overthinking? Why do you think that is? Because, like, you know, I mean, for whatever it's worth, again, three months ago we were talking, you know, maybe Cleveland could pick him at number four, and now all of a sudden you're talking about he could be in the middle of the first round, and it's just interesting, um, you know, biases aside, how that how that kind of worked out. Talking about Minka? Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick, yes. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I just think it's a scenario where the process starts, you know, and you're 30% done and you're like, wow, I ran a raving about a guy. And, you know, as you start to delve in and then cross check that and look at a guy's warts or, you know, things like that, it starts to, you know, it starts to even out a little bit. You're like, oh, you know, maybe this guy over here, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, as time wears on and you get more information, you know, the opinion changes a little bit. The, so I, I, I think that Minka is a top, you know, six or seven talent. Um, I think he's just a guy who's going to end up going somewhere between probably six and 15, you know, is, is really kind of his range. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? Not in terms of like the examining the warts and stuff like that, but Derwin James, you know, I've heard some people say, you know, he could, some teams going to fall in love with him in the top seven. Some people say he could fall into the teens. Is it one of those cases where, yeah, he just has that kind of range or are you hearing more one way or the other on him? Cause he's another player that, you know, a lot of people here really love. I think he's in that same range. I think that he's, you know, it's a guy, it's just a, a question of what your preference is, you know, what's, what you're looking for. Um, you know, what, what player you think fits best in your defense. Uh, if you're looking for a free safety slash, you know, heavy nickel corner, uh, Minka's probably your guy. If you're looking for more of a, you know, a versatile traditional safety type, uh, Derwin's probably your guy. So um, I, th- I think that uh, it's really about fit and who you think fits your scheme and, and, and going from there. So changing gears, staying you know, the back on the Redskins topic, but different uh, concept. Um, you've done a really good job over the X amount of time that you've been kind of doing this of building up your share of contacts around the league. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain on this. Um, the USA Today and Greg Rosenthal kind of put out separate pieces this week, essentially calling Bruce Allen one of the worst personnel guys in the NFL um, for anyone who's kind of done this for more than like a year or two, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was USA Today ranked him among the least trustworthy, maybe the least worst trust, least trustworthy exec in the league. One of the least prepared personal guys in the NFL. And Allen, Allen might be the second most hated man in Washington, only behind Dan Snyder. So basically the two of them are even more hated than the guy even in the White House right now. And to be completely clear, like even everyone on our blog at Hail to the District, we completely echo that sentiment. Um, we might be the ones throwing the party if when Bruce Allen is eventually gone. But in your conversations with people around the league, do you hear a similar sentiment around him, or are they more a little politically correct, not trying to say something about him? Um, I think you get a lot of people that that tell the politically correct line, but you can definitely tell how people feel. Um, they're not going to outright come out and bash him, but you know, the sentiment is pretty clear. I think that's reflected in those pieces that people have put out. Agents don't like him. Players don't like him. Uh, opposing execs wonder if his relation, his cozy relationship with the Grudens, got him the job, and he forced Scott out. Um, you know, there in Washington. Uh, and, and is trying to take credit for you know something that Scott built. Uh, so if you look at uh, you look at his history, you know I, I think it speaks for itself. I don't. I'm not a big Bruce Allen fan. Um, I, I don't think he's quite uh, as bad with personnel as, as people say. Uh, but I also don't care for the for the way that uh, uh, he kind of forced Scott out. 
Yeah, um, very well said. And again, you said it very eloquently. I think other people here might not be as um, as eloquent about it as in terms of the way he, he did Scott Dirty in terms of pushing him out the door. But um, Ben, thank you so much for your time. Awesome insight. Um, I'll make sure I plug uh, you're at Albright NFL, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T NFL on Twitter. Please make sure you go follow him. Otherwise, uh, if you don't, I'll have a link on our blog. But again, Ben, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have um, at least get a little bit of downtime between now and the draft and take a good vacation afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, brother. Yep. Take care, man. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.